Welcome to the Honor the Gift Podcast. I am your host, Art McCracken. I specialize in transformational leadership and high-performance coaching. I've worked with hundreds of companies and thousands of individuals along the way, helping them achieve greater outcomes in all aspects of their life. I'm a speaker and writer, but at the end of the day, none of that holds a candle to being a husband, father, and friend. I believe the greatest gift in our mortal existence is the gift of choice. How we honor that gift will shape the eternities. I also believe that career is a way of being and not just a way of life. And when you figure that out, by learning to let go of the charades and leaning into growth, life just seems to unlock itself. I know this because I've lived it. Quite simply, my calling is people experience living true. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making the commitment to lean into growth. I honor your journey. Now, let's do this. Hello, friends. Welcome to another weekly episode. In this week's episode, I have a special guest, Stacy Thomas. She's an awesome friend, colleague, collaborator. Uh, before we get into the show, I want to introduce her, and I also want to introduce the topic. The topic of conversation is winging it, and you'll get more of that and more of Stacy's energy as we get into that notion. But where has Stacy been? She's I'm just going to throw this out there. In a psychiatric hospital, several agencies, global research firm on both sides of the glass and both sides of the law, she has superpowers. Uh, those superpowers include connecting. Uh, her idea of a good run is facilitating ideation. She's an expert in youth and women's research, known for navigating the tricky line between creative and business objectives during communications research and a bit of a mad woman when it comes to innovation. But what really lights Stacy's research fire is a room full of people who may or may not know how creative they actually are. A blank slate and a challenge. Off the clock, you're going to find Stacy having a lot of fun. On the clock, she's been known to eat her weight in sushi, wash it down with a dirty martini. Occasionally, she'll run it off, but often she'll just skip running and uh, opt for another martini instead. So, without further ado, a friend, a collaborator, someone who is impacting the world, who has impacted mine, welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Art. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for that stellar introduction. Well, you wrote it, well, or somebody from your team wrote it, so <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's, it's an awesome introduction, and it's, it's representative of who I know you to be and the experience I've had with you to this date. So super, super fun. Thank you for being here and thank you for your generosity of time and always fun to uh, to ham it up with you. So here you are, Honor the Gift Podcast. Welcome to the show. To start out, let's, let's begin with the glass, both sides of the glass. Let's hear it. Well, I wasn't sure what glass you were gonna you were gonna be referring to because my Might be my, three. Answer, <laughs> <laughs> my answer depends. But um, so, yeah, so um, my company, Good Run Research and Recreation, is a full service um, research company, consumer research company, and so um, often when we are in facility doing research, a focus group facility, um, there is that uh, famous or infamous glass that is the the one-way mirror so um, our consumers or respondents are on on one side with the moderator which these days is me um, and on the other side of the glass is uh, is our clients strategists oftentimes folks from um, strategic agencies and so in a former life that was also me so that is why I can I can say with um, conviction that I have been on both sides of that glass I've been on both sides of many other glasses as well. <laughs> well, uh, the first time I met you was on a really fun project uh, together. And I was uh, in the peanut gallery on one side of the glass and you were on the other side of the glass as a facilitator and uh, just had a, a wonderful opportunity to get to know you and get to know a little bit more about Good Run Research and Recreation. So Tell me about the genesis. You've told me the story before, but I think it's a fascinating story. And I think it, again, speaks to the winging it nature, but also the very intentional design of, of the business that you've created. Talk to us about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, the name of the company is a little bit of a mouthful. It's Good Run Research and Recreation. Uh, our friends usually just call us Good Run. Um, but the recreation is, is probably the most important piece of that. And it relates to the, the genesis of, of the of the company. Um, it, it quite literally, the, the idea for the company was formed on a very long run back in back in my younger days on Lakeshore in, in Chicago, um, where I, you know, I would go for, go for runs and sort of think about and talk about with, with colleagues, um, the idea of research and what is it and, and why do we do it a certain way? Um, and the conclusion that I, that I came to is, is something that we say a lot at Good Run Now, which is research is just a fancy way of saying and figuring stuff out. Um, and so certainly there needs to be a rigor and a, and a methodology associated with it. But the type of research that, that we do is, is with human beings who are people who are fun, who are not, um, do not fall within, um, strict lines. In fact, that's the, that's the beauty of human beings. And so, um, I thought, why does it have to be so, stoic and sterile and, and unfun. Why can't we infuse a little bit of recreation into the research process? Um, because that's how we are at our best, at whether we're at work or at play. Um, we are at our best when we are having a little bit of fun. And um, as professionals, that means, hey, you know, we're um, we're ourselves and we're making we're making our consumers feel comfortable and feel like human beings. And as consumers or respondents, they're thinking the same thing. This is fun. I can be myself. I'm going to tell you how I really think, how I really feel. And I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you because it's fun and I can be. And so uh, that that one run uh, was spread certainly over the course of, of several months or even years. But there was one in particular that that started off as a um, intentionally a, a, a couple of miles and ended up being quite a long run um, where this idea was really taking shape. Uh, and I was starting to think about what the company could be. Um, and it, it was really, um, it was vivid in my mind. At the end of that, I said, gosh, that was a good run. And so that is the name of the company. It's a good run when we are fueled by our passion and our excitement and creativity for what could be, even if it doesn't exist. Um, and when we're having a little bit of fun. So hence, good run research and recreation uh, because we're we're at our best when we're having a little bit of fun. I like it. Well, we're going to go on a run today, and I have no doubt that those who are listening are going to certainly have their their world today impacted by the conversation. So as we start to peel this back a little bit, you've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. And you've worked with some of the smallest brands probably that are just starting up. So you've had this full cadre of, of different experiences. When does consumer research really make sense for a brand? When, when that brand or that, that, that company um, cares about um, it's, it's end users, which is, you know, I mean, that, that sounds silly, I guess, but, but kind of all the time, because if you think about it, um, all of our businesses are directed and, and run by our end users, our consumers. And so, you know, um, certainly there are business challenges and, and situations that cannot be solved by consumer research, but, uh, more often than, than not, they can or they can be impacted. And so um, a lot of times we'll have clients who come to us, um, particularly if they're beginning innovation or they're, um, they're experiencing some, some business challenges and they don't understand because they make the best widget. They make the, they make the, the, the top of the line leader of whatever it is in the category and they're, and they're, um, they're, their, their sales uh, maybe are not reflective of that. Um, and it's a simple answer. It's because it's not enough just to make the best thing and put it out there even in the best way. You have to, you have to create what is important to your consumers and you have to put it out there and talk about it in a way that they know that whatever it is you are providing for them is for them and is going to satisfy 
um, a want or a need that they have. And so consumer re research makes sense when um, either there's a disconnect between what you are offering and, and the way that it's being received, or when you want to plan for, uh, plan for that and make sure that um, you are um, positioning or thinking about um, um, developing something that um, that really is going to meet a need or a want and, and not necessarily just be the best thing that's out there. The reason I ask the question is it seems to be common sense. And one thing that we realize as human beings, and we see this often, is that common sense isn't always common practice. And I think sometimes companies, uh, individual brands, new entrepreneurs, they, to, to your point about we've got a great widget, we have a great process, we have a service that, that hits, do we want to spend money on consumer research? And I think something that's interesting about your firm is you, you're completely open and innovative in what consumer research is. I think some people have this stigma that it's it's just this formal setting. We're going to talk to consumers. We're going to do A-B testing. We're going to do uh, blind tests. We're going to put a, a product in front of them, see if they like it, see if they don't. But there are unique ways that you can do market testing or consumer uh, to gather consumer feedback. So with all the different projects that you've worked on, if you'll speak to that innovation, but then also as you look back in your past, maybe what what's one of the most memorable consumer research projects you've been involved with without divulging the client's name or any proprietary information? Why don't you bring us bring us up on a couple of those things? Yeah, Art, I think one of the things that I am most proud of as a company is that for us, like template is a four letter word. Every piece of research um, that we design is truly designed and, and customized. And quite often that means we're, we're a little bit um, making it up as we go along. And I, I don't mean that um, in, in a flippant way at all. I mean that we have quite a robust uh, toolbox of all sorts of different methodologies, some of which are tried and true, and, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard of focus groups and, and um, surveys and um, in-home interviews. Um, and others are combi either combinations of those tried and true methodologies, or they are methodologies that maybe have never been tried, but we know that elements of them are true, and we know will work because they make sense. And some of my favorite examples um, are, are are examples of that that principle in play. Um, and and I, I've I've got a lot. I'll mention two um, that are um, that that sort of will always be among my favorites. So so one, we had a company who was interested in um, some innovation, and in particular, they were interested in. Um, innovation for moms, uh, and not just moms, but new moms. And so um, what we landed on, what we started with, it was a, a typical, a typical for us anyway, mixed methodology. We started with um, some in-homes where we, um, uh, we got, to know, got to know the moms and we had them invite their friends over. And then the, uh, the part that made it really cool is that um, you know, these these women are so so smart and innovative by their nature, because that is the definition of being a mom. If you know any moms and new moms in your life, that's what we do. And so the second part of this research uh, was what we called a mom over. So we invited these new moms to invite their go to mom friend and 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 all moms have them, especially at first. And we had a sleepover. <laughs> Uh, we rented out uh, several blocks of you know hotel rooms, and we had we gave them all assignments um, to complete in pairs. And uh, the assignments were related to the innovation need at hand. And they were so excited to be away for an evening where they could just be human beings and have something that they cared about to work on. We gave them a a, a, pro a project. 
And they worked in teams overnight. We went out for dinner. We talked about it. We um, set up the objective. And the next morning, these pairs of moms presented to um, the company directly, the heads of the marketing and innovation um, departments. They presented their ideas that they had come up with overnight at this mom over. And there were there were tears, there were dropped jaws, and it 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 is it makes perfect sense, right? Get a bunch of um, of your consumers in a room, um, and get them to think about it and, and work on the problem. And then we all came together as a team, and we came up with some really good solutions. So that was one example. Another one that comes to mind is a, a, a company in the auto category was interested in connecting with um, with with younger folks. Uh, millennial consumers who are just starting to come into, were just starting to come into the category and their their needs were starting to evolve. Uh, and so the methodology that we customized for them uh, was because it was all about cars and about needs as you're on the road. So we thought, well, what better way to understand that than to actually take road trips with these folks? But that's weird if we're in the car with them. And so we equipped uh, we had them assemble their own teams or pods or, or mini focus groups, if you will. Um, and we agreed on a destination where we would all meet. And then we equipped their cars with uh, with dash cams. And we gave them an assignment uh, to do along the way. Obviously, we, we were very safe about it. The, the, the driver was to drive and everyone else was to participate and, and, and have the conversations. Um, and so when we met up at our at our destination, um, they had had the, the, these experiences in the comfort of their own cars for a few hours together. They had talked about the things that were important to my client. Um, and then they presented them to us, their ideas. Um, over dinner, we talked, we brainstormed, and we ended up in a, in a really good place that was really authentic because it started um, with those consumers. And so just two ideas of methodologies that we completely came up with out of nowhere, except that they made really good sense. And they um, certainly combined um, tried and true elements um, of traditional methodologies, but in a really unique way, in a way that just makes sense. Um, and I think that's that's really what we believe in at, at Good Run is, you know, research is not rocket science. It is about finding out what you need to know um, um, by, by putting together methodologies that, that, that make sense. You know, we are all, as human beings, we are all researchers. We are all good at finding out what we need to know. Um, we just put some, some rigor behind that, um, and some creativity behind the methodology that gets us there. Awesome. I think something that I, I really like about this type of research is as humans, again, we have experiences, we have, uh, short-term experiences, long-term experiences, but with that, we start to develop biases. And in the effort to research something, how often do you find that bias either gets in the way or kind of becomes the question of what do I know or what do we know as a company to be true that may not be? Yeah, there are a lot a lot of layers to that question are, and the truth is like bias is always an influence in every, every single part of our lives. Um, and that includes in research. And so the first thing is just being aware that we are human beings also trying to create an unbiased environment that is artificial because that is um, an unbiased environment does not exist anywhere in real life. And so being aware of that, I think is the most important thing. Um, as professional researchers and, and moderators, there are a hundred percent tricks of the trade. We are we are trained to know how to um, position questions and have conversations in a neutral way. Um, and some of that requires um, some of the things that make us great human beings make us terrible moderators. And so some of a uh, part of the, the the training to be a moderator is is being aware of the biases that exist in our um, in our daily lives and, and in being good human beings. Um, 
For example, when you're having a conversation with a friend or someone that you care about as a, as a good human being, you want to reflect in your face that you are um, agreeing with what they have to say or, or you want to share a, an experience that you had. Um, as a researcher trying to be unbiased, you can't do those things. And so some of that we, we, we learn to train ourselves um, away from some of those biases. The other thing that I'll say is that um, I personally am super proud of my my track record in terms of predicting um, what consumers will say. And by that, I mean, I'm often, if not always wrong. And I'm very, very proud of that. Um, <laughs> so like, we you know, we do a lot of concept testing and, um, you know, new innovation products. And and I'll always I'll always sort of predict like what the winners are going to be. And I'm really proud when I'm wrong, because it means that I've listened and I've created an environment where um, the respondents are are free to express themselves in a way that that is really different than what I was expecting or 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 thinking or in in some cases hoping. And so I'm really proud when I'm wrong, and it happens uh, all the time. That is cool. I appreciate that insight, and and that's something that I think is a good lesson for leaders as leaders of organizations, teams within organizations is, is recognizing as you go into a project, that ability to be truly open to what comes out the other side and, and the work that's required to, to release some of those, to release that ego, to release some of those biases, to, to just open yourself up to what happens and where it might lead itself. And again, fascinating. Thank you for your thoughts on that. So let's shift gears a little bit. Sometimes the run uh, gets a little painful and maybe bumpy and uncertain, and you may just be running and not with really no target other than just staying in the run. So we've been through a season. We're still in some of a season of this pandemic. And I know you and I have connected a couple times over the last year and a half, two years, and We've had conversations about this. You've, you have a team, you have clients, you have what's happening in the marketplace. How have you navigated that run? I mean, it's been completely smooth sailing. I don't know what you're talking about. It's been, it's been a delight and a pleasure every step of the way. No, this. Uh, so brand new shoes then, right? No, no wear and tear yeah. at all. None at all. Um, it's been it's been rocky and, and, and painful and all those things. And I think, you know, anytime you are treading uncertain terrain, rocky terrain, whatever it is, there's so much vulnerability that comes with that. Um, you know, quite literally not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, not knowing where you're going to be, not knowing are we going to be. That's a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Um, and and I think my approach to leading in those in those times in those situations is is really just to meet vulnerability with vulnerability. So I don't think there's a person out there this past year, if they're being honest with themselves, who could say, yeah, no, I felt really comfortable. I felt really confident the whole time. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe that. If, I, I don't want to be friends with that person if that's the case, because it's been so uncertain and we've all felt very vulnerable. And so um, I think part of part of the reason that we good run have made it through so so um, with such strength and, and, and uh, are on our, our two feet again um, is because we've really all met that that vulnerable feeling with vulnerability. And what I mean by that is um, just kind of coming together and, and being very, very transparent. Yep, I'm scared. You scared too? Got it. Okay, here's what's going on. Here's the plan. Um, trusting one another that we were going to get through it, even if we didn't know how. Um, and really, I, I could not have imagined the impact of emotional connection um, in a professional environment um, uh, as much as I have seen to be true over this past year. And so and some of that is is definitely related to um, the ability to be vulnerable with each other. Um, but I think by maintaining that emotional connection, it strengthens the trust 
um, that ultimately is is what um, enabled us to, um, to 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 come together as a team and kind of figure out. I hate that word pivot more than I've ever hated it. <laughs> uh, but how to how to pivot and 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 survive um, this past year? I think um, like there was nothing easy about it uh, for anybody. And there was nothing that, that anybody could predict. You kind of just, you, you did have to wing it. You had to make the best of whatever situation happened to be in the moment. Um, but, you know, we talk about winging it. It's not just winging it willy nilly and, um, you know, with, with no preparation, it's, it's winging it in a way that makes sense, that relies on confidence that, that you've built um, in, in skill sets and in each other. And so it's sort of like, you know, confident winging it, I guess, which is how, how we've made it through. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying this week's episode. If growth, personal growth and development is your thing and you're here learning and leaning into growth, glad you're here, glad you're part of the community. If you want more of this, make sure and hit subscribe in this podcast platform or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Search for Honor the Gift podcast and make sure and subscribe so that it shows up each week with new updates, new conversations, new learning, new ideas and concepts, again, to help us all in this journey we call growth and how we make it through life and the way that we show up for others. Also, if you are looking for more information, deeper dives into some of these conversations, And just an update to stay in the loop, you can always go to choiceisthegift.com and click on subscribe where you'll be uh, in the loop on things that are upcoming and more updates on this podcast. Again, thank you for being here. Now let's get back to the episode. So you're an entrepreneur. You You have a business. You've been growing this business for a number of years. You have employees. You have vendor partners. You have community. I'm going to give you an opportunity to think, really think about you as a leader and what do you believe makes you a great leader? I would say that you are from what I've observed personally, but what do you think makes you a great leader? Well, um, slight correction. I guess I am an, an entrepreneur, but, but, but I am um, truly, I'm an accidental entrepreneur and maybe this is related to my answer. Um, I probably have always been an, an entrepreneur um, in some ways. Um, my, my mother uh, could could tell you about the times when I would make make crafts as a five year old and um, take them around to the neighbors and give them to them. And when they said thank you, I would say, "When well, that'll be five cents." <laughs> <laughs> so I've probably always had that some somewhere in my in my blood. Um, but I say I'm an accidental entrepreneur because it was never my intention to, to start a company. Um, and it was never my intention to be a leader of any type, really. I, I just, you know, on that, that faithful day when, when the, the concept for Good Run was born, I knew there was a different way. I knew there was a better way and I, I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know how, but I knew I could wing it with confidence. And so I did, and and for for a little bit I did it, um, I did it by myself. And it, you know, anyone who's ever worked by and and for and with themselves knows that the the, the difference in um, being uh, completely fine in terms of workload and being completely overwhelmed isn't very much work, right? It's mm-hmm. it's very easy to 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 find yourself with too much on your plate. And so I found myself in that situation. And what I did, I mean, to me, this makes total sense. I just took the things off my plate that I was the worst at or that I enjoyed the least. And and one of my greatest strengths is that I really, really excel at knowing what I'm super bad at. And so that part was easy for me. I just, you know, I started to um, ask for help in those areas. And so, so then shortly thereafter, I found myself with an accountant and with a logistics director and with a, a, a visual designer. And those were all things that I am exceedingly bad at. And so just by asking for help at those things, I, I, I guess I had a, a, a company. Um, and, and that's, that's how I accidentally built this thing. And I continue to, um, turn to people who are way better 
at most things than, than I am. Um, and that is, that's how I lead. I just, um, I find people who are, are, are better and smarter um, than I am. That's extremely wise. And I think that you'll find that some of the most successful people have figured that out. It is a roadblock for a lot of uh, business owners because they're so protective of the outcome it's very hard for them to let go of even the things that they're not good at. And so as you shared that, something that came to mind is back to this experience of just taking a run. And maybe leadership, certainly we know leadership has, you have the ability to impact and influence others, whether that's for good or bad, it's up to you. But what if leadership could be simply defined as, hey, I want to go for a run, come follow me, or come run with me. If it's something as simple as that, how we engage others, and I think oftentimes even projects that we're trying to take into the market, we want to have a certain level of influence and persuasion in hopes that somebody might like that enough that they'll come with me, that they'll follow me into this place that I want to go, that I feel connected to, that excites me and let's make something really fun together. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense um, as a life philosophy, as well as, you know, a marketing strategy. Um, it's about, again, I, to me, what you're talking about comes back to the idea that we discussed at the beginning of our conversation, which is, um, figure out what it is you're passionate about and what feels fun and not like, not like work. Um, and do that thing and do it in a way that is authentic. Um, and that, um, makes it clear to, to other people, um, what you're about and what your, what your personal mission is, whether, whether you're an actual person or a brand or a company. And so it's a little bit, um, you know, a, a, attracting others by being sort of tr true to self and, and doing what you love and you're passionate about. Uh, to me, that makes a ton of sense. It's a lot easier to um, invite folks along for the run who want to be on the run because it looks like fun to them too. So um, to me, that's a lot easier and takes the selling <laughs> component out of, out of marketing or, or out of uh, leadership, if you will. So as you're bringing others along for the ride, what is it from your perspective, again, if you were to put yourself on the other side of that glass, looking through that at a team, you've led teams, you've worked with teams, you have a family, what makes a great team member? Mm, that's a good one, Art. Um, first of all, being on the right team or in the right environment. And what I mean by that is you know, when I think about our team and I and I think about leadership, whether it's me as a leader or other team members as leaders, part of that equation is not is is not just bringing others along for the run. It's being able and willing and wanting to follow others at times. And so you can do that when you're on a team that you trust um, and that's aligned with your values and, and, and your mission. And so to answer your question, the first thing about, you know, finding a good team member is, is finding somebody who fits with the team, fits with the values, the mission of the team, the organization. Um, the other part of that, I think, is, is about balance. Um, there are lots of different styles of leadership. There are lots of different work styles. And um, finding the balance of, of folks who are more inclined to be the vocal type of leader versus those who are um, who who lead by doing or or, um, you know, or, or maybe a, a, a softer spoken leader. But I think everybody on a team has has an ability and a responsibility to be a leader in some sense um, by sharing what it is they are good at. And by trusting their other team members um, to to, uh, uh, to to go along with them uh, when it's when it's an area that they're not as good at, 
Um, so what makes a good team member is being on the right team, <laughs> it, it aligned with the mission and, and, and being able and willing and wanting to, to, to give and receive um, strengths and, and vulnerabilities and, and equal um, components. Very good. Let's shift gears again. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the ecosystem of marketing and, and branding in the space of personal branding and maybe even organizational branding, we we have this animal or this beast called social media. And it's certainly a space, a place. It's got a pace of play. Uh, it's a, a place of, of high opinion and all sorts of other things that come with that. What are you seeing when it comes to social as it relates to what type of work you do, but also just in the marketplace in general. Whew. I'm a terrible, uh, I'm a, I'm a terrible self brander, <laughs> and um, I'm, and really by everyone's standard, um, a, a terrible participant in in social media. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm the right right person to authoritatively answer that question <laughs> because I, I do a really um, by traditional standard, a pretty bad job of all of that, all of that myself. Um, that said, it is such a, such an influence um, and such a, a, um, a part of the lexicon of um, uh, any generation, um, especially our, our newer generations. It, it, it is, it is not, um, it is the rule and not an exception. It's, it's part of the, um, not only the way of communication, but it's, it's part of status. And, um, you know, I'm, it, I think it, it can be, it can be pretty overwhelming, certainly on a personal level, level. but I think what I'm, what I'm seeing more than anything is, um, amidst the competition to sort of break through, we always hear about like breaking through the social media clutter amidst that competition. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of a underground movement, if you will, to be authentic and to maybe pull back a little bit and and stop screaming, um, and and to um, use social media as a platform for demonstrating values um, in a in a more authentic way. And I'm not saying that that's even a big part of the conversation that's happening now, but we're starting to see that emerge as a as a trend. Um, and particularly with you know, younger generations, we're starting to see an acknowledgement that that is different um, and, and special. And my word's not theirs, but I think that that sense of specialness is coming from an authenticity that, um, at least in recent years, has been against what we know and expect from social media. Yeah. It's interesting because we have this this collision of of technology and the internet and what that's produced. If we were to look at, at almost a revolution that's happening, I believe that the revolution happening is a, a revolution of communication and connection on the hills of technology and the internet. And so if we have global impact, global footprint, global reach, pace to market, and it's, it's all surrounded by conversation and connection and some level of gamesmanship in the market it's mm -hmm. fascinating to me to watch this unfold but i think again if, if we look back in history at all of the different revolutions and maybe evolution in what ways can this help us evolve as a human race and in what ways are we just spinning totally and i think that's that was re related to the point I was trying to make about social media and, and I guess it's evolution or feeling overwhelming at times. You talk about communication and certainly social media is a tremendous platform for communication, but it feels like it has evolved or devolved to be a sort of a an arena for competitive communication with everyone sort of speaking louder and over and more. And how many times are we tweeting and, and posting and, and likes and, and, and that 
competitive communication has come at the expense of connection, true connection. And so I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there is an answer, but what I'm what I'm seeing a little bit and what I'm hopeful continues is the pulling away from that is is what feels differentiated now. So when um, brands or individuals, companies are are doing things or demonstrating their values um, in an authentic way and and possibly a, a lot of times even in an understated way. Um, that feels authentic and doesn't feel like just a, a, a sort of a, a screaming match and, and joining the competition. That's what seems to be having an effect in terms of creating real relevance and connection. And I, I really hope that continues. And then there's like the skeptic in me or something that's like, Oh, and, and then we're going to compete on authenticity next. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, as a as a mix master and a little bit of a of an innovator, what are you sensing is on the horizon? Maybe some market trends that you can help us be aware of. Yeah, any particular category you want me to focus on, or just in oh, general? In general. Um, so we're in a really uh, weird and a good way spot right now as a as a world. There's been so much change and uncertainty this past year that I think, you know, the biggest thing right now is just the sense of momentum. Uh, You know, like every I think this this past year and some change has really um, shown a light on the things that are important to us as human beings. Um, Touching one another, seeing each other's entire faces. And I think you know, it's, it's a little bit like a, a super big and unfortunate deprivation experiment where we, we've all been so without um, social connection, freedom to travel, freedom to, to do and be as we want and as we're meant to be, that um, certainly there's a sense of, of, of momentum in terms of like what, what people are looking forward to and, and are going to do uh, first. Um, but also... It, you know, there's there's a heightened awareness of how important these things are that that we've been without, and so uh, that is a macro trend I think that will um, that will unfold in in all sorts of ways um, over over the years to come. But I'm I'm hopeful as a human being that that will translate first and foremost to the appreciation of one another. <laughs> um, you know, in in our in our free and natural states. Uh, first and foremost. Very good. So as we round out this interview, there's three final questions I want to ask you. And these will be personal questions, but it's just digging into your life experience. First one would be, if you could pin maybe a single lesson in your life that has, has manifested itself in high value, what would it be? Ooh, a single, a single lesson in my life that has manifested itself in high value. Um, it's the topic of this talk, Art. It's it's winging it with conviction. We are all. I, I believe this. We are all artists. We are all capable. We all have gifts and superpowers. But I think many, many of us, myself included, um, let that 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 voice that unfortunately is always there that that says, oh, no, you're not yet. You're not ready. You don't have that experience. Let that voice be louder than the voice that's like, yeah, you do. Go try it. So what if it's never been done? So what if you've never done it? You've got the elements to make it successful. Try it. What's the worst that can happen? So so that that to me. Um, had, I don't even know when I learned that lesson. I, I probably felt, I probably fell down and got back up and it wasn't so bad. Um, but I continue to do that. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's winging it and taking some, um, some calculated risks. Um, because that's how you, that's how you get anywhere. Right. And I, I, you know what? I think that probably, 
that probably that lesson probably sunk in for me. I started an, an ad agency right out of grad school, mm -hmm. right? Super cute. When I look back on it, we didn't know anything <laughs> about business. And, um, you know, in our minds at the time, it felt like we were successful. I think, I think at one time I was making $500 a month and I thought, I, you know, I, I had made it, I had arrived. But, you know, by everyone else's standards, including the fact that it is definitely not around anymore, we failed. And it wasn't that bad. It really was not that bad. So we failed. So, so, so I, I don't know. I, 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 I talked about it at a panel one time and, and somebody from an agency heard me talking about it and was like, all right, well, let's, let's give her a shot. So then I got into the agency world. So you can fail and it doesn't hurt that bad. Um, so I think that's, that's maybe that's when that lesson, uh, sunk in for me, but just, um, give it a go, wing it with conviction. Yeah. Well, that kind of plays part, in. That really, that, that is what kind of guides us at good run. Yeah. It, it's, it's cobbling things together in a way that totally makes sense. There are a lot of right ways to do things. So it's okay to try something that's, that's different or has never been done if you've got the experience and the confidence to know that the, the, the elements should combine in such a way that, that it will work. And it usually does. It somehow does. So that plays into this next question. I think you've answered a lot of this, but if you were stopped in a hallway by somebody that you didn't know, and maybe they were uh, significantly younger than you are, just coming into career or coming into life, What's is there a single piece of advice you would give somebody? Doesn't have to be specific to career or anything else, but what's that? What's that one thing that just could possibly change their life? Um, in terms of in terms of career, I I do give this advice. Um, <laughs> don't underestimate the value of proximity. So where you know everybody wants to know where should I. Where should I go first? Go someplace that brings you energy because being happy in life and with your, with your surroundings is, man, that's, that's a big component. Um, and, um, you know, your, your job should not be your life. So you should live your life in a place and surrounded by energy, um, that, that, that makes you happy. Um, and then a little bit related to that, what you do is important. But who you're doing it with is way more important than that. Um, if you think about life happiness, um, almost everyone knows this on an intuitive level, but it's really hard for us to put it into practice, especially as we're just starting out in our lives and careers. You could be you could be really happy doing just about anything with somebody that really lights your fire or that you admire or that that you respect. Um, and it's and it's mutual. And you can be really unhappy doing your dream thing, whether it's your dream job or whatever, with the wrong person. So whether it's your 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 bosses, your mentors, your colleagues, um, make sure you find um, you find the right team Just to bring it full circle back to what makes a good teammate. Share those values. Uh, get yourself on the right team in in life and in work. Um, and what could possibly go wrong? Very nice. I like it. Good advice. Last question uh, before we wrap it up. I asked this question to all of my guests, and that is, what does living true mean for you? Hmm. Living true. I think it starts with knowing your, you know, we talked about uh, getting yourself on the right team can't get yourself on the right team unless you know what's important to you truly as a person and where your energy comes from. And living true is taking the steps in your life to uh, stay, on, stay on, build and stay on a team that is true to, to your values, your personal mission, and making time um, to be immersed 
in in and and near and around your source of energy, whatever that is, um, at at any cost. And I mean, sometimes that that's weird or unusual, or sometimes it's not the it's not the sexy position or the title that somebody else told you was important. And so that's where it comes back to knowing what's important to you and and doing those things and taking those steps, even if it's even if it's against what uh, society or your brother or your mom or whoever told you should be um, a measure of of success. It's a really personal thing. Uh, so living true means uh, figuring that out and and doing that no matter what other people are doing, because there will always be somebody to be on your team. Well, for those listening, you just had a master class in living true right there with one of the very key points that, again, very few guests comment on this, but you did so eloquently, and that is living true has a cost. Sometimes it's a relational cost. Sometimes it's a career cost. Sometimes it's an emotional and spiritual cost. But when you connect to that and you protect that and lean into it, living true is expensive and it, it has it has an impact and it's something that takes a continued effort to align with that. So thank you for that perspective. Where can people find you? Hey, I am fully vaccinated so people can physically find me um, <laughs> in Richmond, Virginia, and I would welcome uh, any any guests who want to come and visit the rec room, which is our fantastic facility in Richmond, Virginia. I have a lot of hugging to do to make up for the past uh, year and a half. So I will hug anyone that comes to visit. Uh, you can also find me at email, Stacy at goodrunresearch.com. Check us out on the web, goodrunresearch.com as well. Don't bother with social media for me because I probably <laughs> won't. Check it. I'll ignore it. I'll pretend like I didn't see it. All right. That's very cool. So fully vaxxed, giving out free hugs. Go find her. Stacy. it's been a good run today. And I appreciate you. It's it's always a joy. You have such a, a tremendous energy. And again, you've impacted my life. You continue to impact my life. Thank you for being here. Hey, Art. It is an honor and a pleasure Good to see you. Good to hear you. And, and thanks again for having me. Awesome. Remember, friends, that growth is always a choice. Until next week, make it a great one. And remember to always honor God.